Like so many pervasive culture-shaping technologies in the galaxy, holograms and holographic technology seems to have begun with the Rakata. In particular, by King Attis's reign in around 25,000 BBY, they had fully mature holocron technology. Advanced scouts for the planned invasion of Korriban had been sent to ingratiate themselves to the axe-wielding king and in the process taught him the secret of the device's manufacture. The Sith civilization took to the art of holocron writing the way they did with practically all arcane and potentially dangerous pursuits. Many Sith kings, dark brothers and sisters, dark Jedi and dark lords would subsequently keep the tradition strong in their culture. The nearly universal medium of media in the galaxy far, far away is the hologram. These three-dimensional projections are not only holographic, are not the only holographic technology, however. Data was stored on hollow disks, which could be loaded into hollow projectors. Astromech droids were also commonly equipped with hollow projectors. The three-dimensional images could be transmitted across cosmic distances at faster-than-light speed over a widely distributed network of computers called the HoloNet. Without it, sending a simple message from Tatooine to Alderaan would be incredibly difficult. Like similar units, R2-D2 had holographic capabilities. While serving aboard the Tantive IV, R2's superior officer and imperial senator, the Princess Leia Organa of Alderaan, uploaded a message intended for Obi-Wan Kenobi onto the intrepid astromech's databanks. Even after a tumultuous ride in an escape pod, a lengthy trek through the desert, being shot with an ion blaster and subsequently confined to a sand crawler for an extended period of time, R2's message remained intact. While performing a routine tune-up on second-hand farm equipment, Luke Skywalker inadvertently activated the message from the Rebel Princess. Legends of the Skywalker twins and the heroes of Yavin abound throughout the galaxy. Few beings have touched the lives and ended many others 
of so many sentients as this small group of people. The stories circulated firsthand from warlords, enslaved beings, chefs, and those from every corner of the galaxy alone have deeply penetrated the galactic culture. But beyond these first-hand accounts, there is the historical and perhaps holographic record of their deeds. As with many holographic recordings, Artu's message also contained audio files. When Luke viewed that recording, he was prompted into changing the fate of the galaxy forever. But holograms have been ever-present throughout galactic culture, and that brief recording of the princess beseeching the venerable knight was far from the first to shape history. Archivist Emeritus. It has been a maxim of my profession that those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. Quote, Vorin Nall. Vorin Nall is the bridge between first-hand accounts and history. A journalist by profession, trained by the legendary historian Arhul Hextrafen. Vorin's early career led him to joining the rebellion. While serving, he was assigned to recording the unfolding history of the political movement and savage war unfolding around him and engulfing the galaxy. He served during the Battle of Yavin, and along with Luke, Leia, Han, and Chewie, was awarded the Medal of Bravery. In the opulent, cathedral-like amphitheater, Vorin and his tutor, Orhul, stood to the right of An Solo. General Jan Dardana bequeathed the medallion to Vorin. As a historian and journalist, Vorin was in the unprecedented position of witnessing the birth of history. Dates were recorded with reference to the specific event in his life from then on. Even still, the first day of the year, 0 BBY, was not even the most memorable in Vorin's storied career. Through Nal's life and writing, we can take a hyperspace tour of the holographic galaxy. The first stop is right there on Yavin 4 among the Masasi ruins. After becoming tainted with dark knowledge contained in the Sith holocron, Exar Khan first killed his master. Then he sojourned to the moon as thick with jungle as it was with the dark side to complete his fall from the light. The availability of Sith holocrons to vulnerable force sensitives has been a recurring theme throughout galactic history and source of unimaginable violence. The legacy of these objects has always run thick with blood. The first known example, King Ada's holocran, bo boasted proudly of the savage wars carried out by its author. 
In fact, it is considered to be more of an internal boast by the king rather than a device of instruction. Other Sith, however, would develop the art form to a sophisticated degree. Goto. And now, your highness, we will discuss the location of your hidden rebel base. As an idealistic young journalist, Vorn could hardly stay out of trouble living in an authoritarian state. Such organizations keep far too many secrets and inevitably attract the likes of a young Vorn Na'al like an insectoid Yamiri resource speculator on an unclaimed planet. Eventually, his line of inquiry led him to the bad side of an Imperial official, and he was imprisoned in solitary confinement for several weeks. Solitary is not strictly true. He had one frequent visitor, his red-eyed companion, the spherical ITO interrogator, may or may not have had projection equipment. The simulation of reality it sought to run in its victims was one of terrible pain and suffering, or else reckless, self-injurious honesty. ITOs were ubiquitous throughout the Galactic Empire, but their design harkened back to ancient times. Immediately preceding them, Sith acolytes like Darth Maul made use of similar floating droids with single red optical sensors. Far earlier than this, black metal spheres were choking the life out of sentient beings. The Aratech Repulsor Company began developing infrastructure planning systems during a period of unprecedented bloodshed in the galaxy. After the Mandalorian and Great Sith Wars, the infrastructure on many worlds was reduced to smoldering a rubble. Researchers at Aratech saw an economic opportunity where most could see only devastation. By 3955 BBY, the first models were deployed. The aesthetic similarity between infrastructure planning systems and ITO droids are striking, with the main difference being placement of the optical sensor. It is on the southern, he southern hemisphere of the latter droid, but on the northern end of the former. Yet these similarities are only durasteel deep, as far as the intended purpose of each machine is concerned. While some of the infrastructure droids may have functioned as intended, planning and implementing civil engineering administrative solutions in high-density urban areas, many units were plagued with bugs, perhaps foreshadowing future restrictions on free speech under the Galactic Empire. Some GOTO units were able to exert totalitarian control over the worlds they were assigned to rebuild and cut them off from the intergalactic hollow net. Others developed a flair for financial crime and others would end up upgrading themselves to have virtually all of the same capabilities as the ITO droids would eventually have. Perhaps most infamously, a federation of 16 GOTOs attempted to secede with the planetary systems under their control from the Republic. These bureaucratic supercomputers were no match for the Republic Navy, however. Philanthropist business magnate torture droid GOTO of Telos IV was all of these things and more. Originally deployed to assist Ithorian ecologists in the restoration of Telos and the maintenance of the or orbital colony, Citadel Station. 
Like other defective models, GOTO found the bureaucracy of the Republic and the processes to be at odds with his prime directive. Specifically, he believed a unilateral ethnic cleansing of all extant Jedi and Sith in the galaxy to be the only possible way to perform his intended function. In the service of this goal, he traveled to the smuggler's moon, Nar Shadda, and became an entrepreneur in the less than legal sector of the galactic economy. Within a few years, he had managed to become the undisputed scumlord of the dangerous moon. Prior to his reticent support of another force-inspired holy war, Geo Tio maintained a simulated holographic persona of a humanoid being. By appearing remotely, as it were, he was able to maintain the illusion that he was a flesh and blood being somewhere out there in the murderous alleys and nauseating depths of Narshada's neon-stained cityscape. Nobody knew that Goto was a droid. He only ever dealt with other beings via comlink or holographic projection. The middle-aged human simulation other villains dealt with was indistinguishable from a hologram of a real person. Many of his associates would meet with him remotely, so they thought, through the droid. After arriving at a truce with a few Jedi exiles, Goto accompanied Mitra Sirik as she waged a covert campaign against the Sith Lords in 3951 BBY. The droid was destroyed on Malachor V that year, but copies of his consciousness may have remained on Narshada and could persist in some form somewhere out there in the vastness of hyperspace. And now, a word from our sponsors. This program was brought to you by Tri Nebula News. Fair and balanced, because the Jedi aren't. Hologram Fun World. It's been a very tough first quarter for us. We do get attendance, but they're mostly all from local space. No one seems to want to travel far from home these days. I'm confident, though, that the mid-year will be good to us, what with the kids out of school and wanting things to do. Grakish Shoebell on Hologram Fun World. The possibility for interactive entertainment provided by holograms is difficult to ignore. To fully ex- exploit this potential, Hollow entrepreneurs built a large space station inside a helium gas cloud in the Zabian Nebula. The station had no official military or science directive and was built solely with tourism and pleasure in mind. It was visited by the wealthy elites of the galaxy and celebrities like Han and Leia Solo considered getting married there. One of the more notable holographic installations was the Nightmare Machine. Guests were told that a computer in the ride scanned their brains for their worst fear, then simulated it in high-definition holographic form. In reality, no such technology existed, 
but the creators of the nightmare machine used a more biological solution to discovering what a guest feared. A being from a telepathic species would simply work in the room, hidden by clever holograms. When guests believed that they were having their brains scanned for their worst fear, they would naturally recall what that fear was. The telepathic machine operator would then program the simulation on the fly to correspond with what the, they received from their telepathy. Other hologram rooms at the station were more escapist than something a guest would want to escape from. They could visit dead worlds and the throne rooms of tyrants in the anywhere room, or be entertained in a more passive form at the Asteroid Theater, which often played mixed media performers. It was perhaps watching a magic act there when the solos began considering holding their wedding ceremony at Hologram Fun World. Simulations at the Enchanted Lagoon were indistinguishable from real objects, and projected flowers even had a scent. There was no grainy, flickering, monochrome phantasms on display within the ethereal borders of the lagoon. Taken as a whole, Hologram Fun World probably represents the highest achievement in hologram technology, and many of its functions have not been reproduced elsewhere. In the end, Leia and Han did not marry at the tourist trap. Their ceremony was held at the Alderanian Consulate on Corazont, three years after their visit. It's hard to know what details Voran Na'al may have cut from his landmark works, Oral History of the New Republic, or Official History of the Rebellion, Volume 1. But in research for these and other projects, he certainly learned many intimate details of the heroes of Yavin. And one of the criticisms often levied at his work is often being said that he focused too much on the personalities of his subjects, a tendency of which he was self-conscious. Biography seems to have been his preferred form of history to write, although his bibliography spans many historical topics. Surely somewhere in his corpus of work is a record of that fateful wedding between a princess and a scruffy, nerf-herding spacer. Free speech under the empire. What? Who are you? What's that? Plans? I don't know anything about any plans. A delirious Eben Q3 Baobab in 1ABY. Of the many momentous and grave occasions recorded in blue projected voxel form 
Few are infamous than the events of Operation Nightfall. In it, Anakin Skywalker, then operating under the nom de Gur Darth Vader, is recorded slaying the inhabitants of the Jedi Temple. Clone troopers were also depicted opening fire unprovoked on the monks of the temple. During the Clone Wars, Holonet News and the CIS Shadow Feed provided news coverage for both the Confederation and Republic citizens. When the CIS was defeated, the hyperwave transceivers they used to disseminate the Shadow Feed were likely dismantled. If a certain ascending Supreme Chancellor was through in his designs to control the flow of information to his constituents. In those early days of the Empire, the Holonet was swiftly shut down. Undeniable evidence of Vader's war crimes were only the tip of the politically damaging information spear that Emperor Palpatine wanted to avoid. The Empire used the network as its prime communication service but access was tightly restricted. Even in a totalitarian state, some fluid and efficient communication needs to happen. Many officials used a digital text message service called imperial.emp for day-to-day correspondence. Although imperial internal security may have been restrictive, No regime has been able to silence an experienced and motivated slicer. Eden Baobab created an alternative to the propaganda rotten imperial holonet through which vital rebel tactical information was disseminated. Like the recipe for a delicious Wookiee pastries, Wookiee Ookies. With the Empire's fall, the free holonet was restored. Vorin may have lost some of the outlaw mystique that went with being a journalist under the Empire's brutal control. What he may have lost in such a romantic status changing, he made up with further career success. He would recall the assembling of the rebel fleet before the Battle of Endor as being the most inspiring moment of his life. By that time, he had received a second commendation from Rebel Command, and had even traded his hollow recorder for a blaster rifle at the Battle of Hoth. He continued working for the New Republic for many years writing tactical documents, as well as various historical and cultural work. After the Black Fleet Crisis, Vorn edited and annotated, ten years after, notes on the mature organizational and administrative structure of the New Republic, an academic work of some impact. By the tail end of the Galactic Civil War, Vorin retired from military service, leaving his position as head of the New Republic Council research. He married his comrade-in-arms and fellow journalist, Rivashi Tarkin, and took a job teaching history. The couple's son, Gideon, took after his father and became a historian as well. Gideon's most well-known work was a thesis he co-wrote with notable xenoarchaeologist Dr. Henrietta Antilles called Star Maps and Scripts, 
the Ricada connection, a philological treatment of the Ricadan origin of many widely used writing systems. Jedi Holocrons The dark side has come before, and it will come again. Do not underestimate its power. That is why I have devoted my life to teaching Jedi Knights, to strengthen the light side against the tide of darkness that is sure to come. Excerpt from a recording made by Vodo Syosk Bask in the Tedrin Holocron. Despite their sinister and undeniably dark side origins, the Jedi Order have also long practiced the art of holocron manufacture. Notable Jedi Knights who learned in part or in whole from holocrons include Luke and Leia Skywalker, but many Jedi have learned ancient secrets from beyond the vaporous mists of time from these polyhedral, artificially intelligent, and force-imbued holoprojecting devices. The Jedi did not begin authoring their own holocrons until approximately 3,000 years after the holocron of King Adas was written. Among the archives maintained by the Jedi scholar Jocasta Nu was the holocron chamber. In addition to esoteric spiritual data, holocrons were also repositories of massive amounts of technical and scientific information, and so were quite valuable. For the same reason that the holonet another source of potent information, was destroyed. Palpatine attempted to destroy the holocrons held at the Jedi Temple, but given his own proclivities concerning history and archaeology, kept some choice holocrons for himself. Jedi Master Tedrin is usually attributed authorship of the Jedi Holocron, referred to by the New Jedi Order as a Tedrin Holocron. He was one of several gatekeepers uploaded into the device, which makes the holocron stand out as they usually contain only a single such simulation. In the course of the Exarchon War, a Kravaki Jedi Master named Vodo Siosk gained possession of the device. He contributed a simulacrum of his own consciousness and force essence to the holocron. Thousands of years later, around 600 BBY, a descendant of Vodo Siosk named Vodo Bas attained the rank of Jedi Master and with that title, also received the Jedi Holocron. Before his own death, Bodo added his cyber-spiritual essence to the Holocron. Still an active Jedi throughout the Clone Wars, Bodo was executed in 19 BBY, presumably as a result of Order 66. Another Jedi Knight attempted to hide the Bodo's Holocron from the Emperor and preserve its knowledge for future generations, but Palpatine captured, tortured, and executed him having gained the treasure. It remained in Palpatine's possession for three decades. The Emperor thought it so potentially valuable that he still kept it amongst his personal effects even after his first death. The eminent scholar of evil was no match for the Tydrian holocron, however. His dark side alignment kept it from revealing its most dangerous secrets. The Bodobas gatekeeper played a key role in the early development of the New Jedi Order. 
His sage advice on training young Jedi pupils and ancient Jedi history served Luke and his knights well. Holocron Continuity Database. You don't know how much you don't know until you get here. Leland Chi. The extragalactic historian Tom Vetch is credited with first writing about holocrons in the High Galactic Script and Language, among many other significant contributions. Fittingly, the device and Bodo Bass first appeared in the Dark Empire series, Dark Horse and Mr. Vetch's entree into the sprawling galaxy of Star Wars. In future products like Tales of the Jedi, Tom collaborated with another gatekeeper of licensed LucasArts lore, Kevin J. Anderson. Together, they more fully developed the character of Exar Kun, who was the phantasmagoric antagonist of Kevin's novel, Dark Apprentice. Tom's brain was something of a holocron as he extensively researched the Star Wars literature that had been published prior to 1991 in preparation for writing Dark Empire. During Tom's tenure, all of the encyclopedic continuity information in Star Wars was kept in analog format inside massive black three-ring binders. When the franchise was revitalized in the late 90s, LucasArts began the arduous task of digitizing their proprietary lore, no doubt with the labor of droids, clones, and interns. The end result was a database utilizing Filmmaker Pro 7 software. It became known within LucasArts Publishing as the Holocron Continuity Database and is the only holocron authored by a Terran named Leland Chi. Thanks for flying with us. Jordan here. Just wanted to let everyone know what's happening here at the Star Lords podcast. Star Lords is now on Discord. If you would like to join the Star Lords Cantina Discord server, you can find a link in the description or on any of our social media accounts. Reach out with a DM or email. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching the Star Lords Podcast. Go ahead and give our page a like and send us a message. You can also email at starlorespodcast at gmail.com. Send us your fan art, Star Wars collections, or fan fictions, 
and you may even get a feature on one of our pages or even the show. Don't be afraid to offer corrections or add to any of the topics that we discuss on the show. We are also on Patreon, so if you want to help us pay the bills, as well as get a few awesome perks like bonus episodes, access to the private Facebook group, or the VIP section of the Discord server, head on over to patreon.com forward slash starlores and sign up for as little as one US dollar a month. And finally, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher app or YouTube, as well as sending us a five-star review on iTunes. This really helps us reach a wider audience. Enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome aboard the Millennial Falcon for a very aesthetic episode. (laughs) Uh, We are just in cyberspace or perhaps hyperspace. (laughs) So the holocron continuity. Whichever you prefer, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. So the holocron continuity database, something that's sort of spiritually very close to what Star Lords is and... Certainly, there's other databases that we use quite a bit, like Wikipedia. I think I can safely say this show wouldn't be possible, really, (laughs) without the good writers at Wikipedia, who, by the way, I'm going to call out right now for something good. (laughs) I was about to say. I'm going to give them a compliment, (laughs) actually. Um, I I didn't have time to research who authored the article by Voran Naal. Or the article on Voren Naal, but that's a very good article. They did it. It's actually like really well written. written. And if you're sort of like a casual fan of deep Star Wars lore, I'd really advise you to go search on Wikipedia and read that entire article from beginning to end. It's actually pretty entertaining. We should do like some social posts about it or something. Just post the whole thing the whole script, <laughs> the whole script. <laughs> so anybody who contributed to that article on wikipedia if, if you're listening let us know that would be awesome yeah come on the show yes <laughs> because <Just> uh host. <laughs> precisely because Warren all is like a character who if i'd known about him when we started this show i would have written this entire show f- around him. from the perspective of Warren all because he's like doing sort of exactly what star lores is trying to do of like in, telling Star Wars stories as though they were actual history. Yeah. Right? And from like an in-universe perspective. Yeah. And from the perspective of he was in the same generation of Luke and Leia and Han, right? He was yeah. like the same age, came from sort of the same background as, as they did as well. It would be hard to do any kind of future legacy stuff, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll work uh, with it. Maybe Force Visions could be an angle. <laughs> Maybe we need a reboot. <laughs> Yeah, scrap off every episode. Start again. <laughs> We're starting. Take from it from the, the top. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down. So another interesting thing about Voran Naal is that he's act. He was actually retconned into uh, a New Hope. He's. You can actually see him on screen getting a medal from uh, Jan Dodonna, the Medal of Bravery, because he did something at the battle of yeah <laughs> just wrote took notes i guess as it was happening yeah, yeah he was actually was, in the x-wing right behind luke getting all the sweet camera footage and for some battle. reason they decided he deserved a medal for that <laughs> so anyway yeah, although, well i mean come on he's like a he's war like correspondent. A, war, a war correspondent yeah <laughs> I, I was gonna bring that up this this really um 
brought to mind like shades of apocalypse now or uh radio free vietnam i think (laughs) kind of like reminded me of that type of war film that's about like sort of the non-military person embedded in the army and seeing all this crazy stuff going down and then through Voren Nal's life we definitely see that like he participated in the battle of hoth okay okay Lucasfilm, if you're listening, <laughs> a great idea <laughs> for a TV series or, or even a, a film, a feature length film. Let's do a movie and then a series spinoff. Yeah. It's like a war film with a war correspondent on the ground. Yeah, on the ground. Like, come on. And we're not saying you should hire Jordan for that role, <laughs> but we're also saying you can hire Jordan for that role. Yeah. I will sell out to Disney for the right <laughs> price. <laughs> And uh, one of the cool things that he did as that embedded war correspondent was uh, at the Battle of Hoth, he was involved in that. And then he, you know, you often hear people say phrases like, uh, you know, they were in the trenches, sort of metaphorically. Yeah. But of course, he was at, literally. at Hoth, <laughs> they literally had trenches and he yeah, was literally in, in the trenches. And uh, at one point he did have a hollow pro- a hollow recorder with him, which is obviously just a space camera. And uh, he was doing his job as a journalist, but then eventually things got so hairy that he had to retreat, actually start fighting. Oh, no, he, he picked up a rifle. He picked up a rifle. Well, that's actually, not very journalistic of him. <laughs> actually started shooting at the stormtroopers. Yeah. He's n- not, he is not unbiased. I was going to say literally that. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because sort of in the character development of Voren Na'al, he's self-aware of the fact that he... Is not biased. <laughs> that he is a very biased uh, source <laughs> of these people he's recording the history of. So he's just an interesting character. And then the guy who taught him, the academic who taught him in the Star Wars universe, our whole Hex Trophon is a character who I've been trying to incorporate in an episode, again, almost since day one, because for some reason, he's kind of like ancient Greece on Wikipedia, where everything goes back to, ancient, back to him. ancient Greece. If you click long enough yeah. on, Wikip- on Wikipedia, and on Wikipedia, if you click long enough, everything goes back to our whole hex trophon (laughs) he's a weird character who's also sort of only like a basically a supplementary rpg character and yet (laughs) somehow he's like connected to To everything every single star wars it's like seven degrees of kevin bacon yeah exactly (laughs) he's kind of like that there was this um in my mind infamous article called like I think it's occult encounters at Farpoint or something like that. And it was an article that was originally written maybe by Leland Chi even <laughs> now that I think about it or another similar Star Wars writer who like more wrote on the like nonfiction <laughs> scare quotes end of LucasArts um, publishing stuff. But that was supposed to be an article that was published on their website, but it got canceled but within that article, basically sort of touched on everything we've ever talked about in like any of our episodes about the Sith or Dark Jedi or like religions or anything that was supposed to be in this article 
occult encounters at Farpoint Station. Mm. So very interesting that this episode about holographic technology, which I feel is sort of relevant to living in 2021, the idea of like these crazy projections yeah, every, of, of reality and like you can't really tell what's what's true or fake. Yeah. Another kind of cool aspect of holographic technology is the, uh, um, you know, like the holocrons themselves and even like Goto, these sort of almost artificial intelligence, you know, and the, the, the holocrons in a lot of depictions of them, like you can actually like interact with them and talk with them, you know, and it's not just like a uh, recording. recording. It's like this personality graft onto the holocron. The gatekeeper is what it's called. It's generally the, yeah, generally the holocron author is the gatekeeper. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's actually kind of an interesting concept that a lot of Star Wars stories explore in terms of, yeah, like what what is the because uh, that's a big question. Like in our universe, humanity is facing is what are the implications of AI, right? And like what happens when some kind of uh, artificial general intelligence is developed, and and um, what what are its limits and all that kind of stuff. So, in a character like Godo, you can kind of it's kind of interesting to see where they go with that. You know, he becomes sort of uh, the head of a crime syndicate and and. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I find it kind of interesting where they go with, uh, an AI. No, that's a really great point. I think, uh, Goto is really the sort of nightmare of an artificial intelligence, right? Yeah. That's like specifically even what he was originally designed to do is kind of, that's the sort of thing that in 2021 we want ais now to do yeah that's yeah. kind of within our grasp right like running infrastructure yeah, systems totally. and that kind of yeah. stuff yeah. Like, what happens when your sewer man. system turns against you and well, yeah. what happens if that's and man- like you right and has its own motivations yeah and yeah and, and like managing entire economies and stuff like that and, yeah uh yeah and it is interesting because goto is sort of a departure from um usual droids that you see in star wars where they they kind of like uh they're very limited in their programming and subservient yeah exactly yeah. where goto has his own objectives and his own agenda yeah yeah uh, the ig series i was gonna bring the up same. the igs yeah it, yeah totally. it's also interesting how the goto units got much closer to a galactic droid uh liberation <laughs> yeah than the <laughs> ig true. droids did they they actually like assembled their own mini star state of 16 different systems yeah that were from under the republic goto control <laughs> yeah they seceded from the republic well, not only did they liberate, they sort of enslaved. <laughs> <No>. They <laughs> did not liberate. Yeah, I would not use species. liberate. No, I <laughs> the mean, same sentence. This is a strictly Goku. anti-droid podcast. <laughs> they didn't. No, I mean, like they didn't just liberate themselves. They like became the. They didn't become the. They didn't just get their necks out of the boot. They became, became the, the boot. boot. <laughs> right. So. And then precisely, just sort of thinking about what Goto's motivations were. Is sort of a general theme that I, of course, always hammer on is that the Jedi are evil. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you got to say from my point of view. The from Jedi are view, evil. <laughs> the Jedi are evil. And Goto definitely felt that. And that's yeah. essentially in his supercomputer AI brain, the calculations he did that 
was that the best way for him to complete his prime directive of making of whatever saving telos four i guess was to exterminate was to ex- was just to exterminate all the force sensitives basically i mean he only restrict he didn't say anything about force sensitives generally it was just all jedi and all sith need right. to die for the galaxy because they keep be fighting and keep ripping the galaxy apart and he is absolutely not wrong <laughs> <laughs> if there were no jedi and no sith there wouldn't be star wars there wouldn't be star lords <laughs> It's true. Uh, yeah. Also, and going back to like the holocrons as well, um, I think that's also an interesting concept where, you know, the dark side uh, becomes infused with like a piece of technology. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of uh, also an interesting way to depict. Yeah. There's so many angles from the idea of like uploading your consciousness to an AI. Yeah. To, yeah. Like, I really like fakes the- and all like. They're, they're all kind of touched on within the Star Wars fiction in-universe, which is really cool. Goto, by the way, I do want to... Whoever wrote the character for Goto, that's another interview we got to get. Yeah, <laughs> if you're listening. At some point. But whoever wrote that, great job, because you predicted deepfakes. <laughs> Goto is literally yeah, the a first deepfake. deepfake. Yeah. <laughs> He's the first deepfake. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, it's true. In kind of a roundabout way, it's true. Which is a, a very funny idea. But then... So generally, back to holograms as a as a more open technology, sort of very ubiquitous. They've been around for a long time. I didn't really figure. I didn't do as deep research as I normally do for these kinds of episodes. So I didn't figure out all the intricacies of holograms. But as far as I can tell, the earliest record, the earliest historic record in the galaxy far, far away of a hologram is with King Addis's hologram, or more specifically, whatever technology the Rakatan agents um, taught King Addis how to author holocrons on. So holograms in multiple ways are sort of very interconnected with the whole Star Wars story because, of course, Luke finds that hologram a holographic recording of princess leia and that's the whole call to action that sets up our entire story the reason we have the podcast right (laughs) and then those hologram holograms have been part of the story of star wars since at least like twenty five thousand bby we've got king addis making his bragging hologram (laughs) (laughs) that's just saying i chopped off everybody's head i like to think of it like an ancient record of like if you read like egyptian pharaohs like records of their conquests i was literally just gonna bring that up i'm gonna i'm gonna yes and you here yeah Uh, it's called the misha stella i believe m-e-s-h-e S-T-E-L-E, as a sequel to our um, episode on xenoarchaeology. I believe this may have been translated initially by a German archaeologist. Because they're all German. Because yeah. <laughs> they're all German. <laughs> and uh, the Misha Stella is, I think, the, the first mention of Israel, the earliest historic mention of Israel, or something like that. Hmm. But anyway... It's also presented in this very braggadocio terms about the pharaoh. That's what these types of early historical documents generally were. Were just yeah, yeah. yeah. Were just like um, 
propaganda for whoever the local emperor or warlord was. They sort of really coined the term like victors right history kind of exactly yeah uh yeah it it, so you think that perhaps this uh character was a little bit lifted from our typical history especially since especially since sith culture generally is so influenced by egyptian culture and then the mesha stella is literally it's actually canaanite Oh, is it Canaanite? Yeah. Oh. But still, it's still yeah. most of the points still cross but over. But that kind of document, area, yeah. yeah, that that kind of document. Yeah, and they all existed. were like, like you said, like you have Babylonian kings who like the first ten titles and the conquests that they did, right? Like it yeah. was it's, very typical of every. It's all just like King Christian who yeah. had the biggest biceps and yeah. killed yeah. the most. <laughs> the most. The most communists. has the greatest chariots and the. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I wanted to just run through some statistics of our uh, Terran holocron, the Terran holocron, which I would very much like to access. If there are any slicer, if there are any elite slicers <laughs> out there, and you know who you are if you heard that, uh, I'd like to get an update on what the holocron is looking like in 2021. The holocron continuity database, that is. And just talk about some of those stats. So they really tracked everything in this program that in this database that Leland Chi created. Um, so they had 1,200 sources, and this was just in 1991, mind yeah. you. There's they been had, so much more content released since 91. Like 1991 wasn't even getting started in terms of legends, and so just between that period from 1991 to 2006 there were at least 1200 sources which i assume they mean by sources they mean graphic novel or novel or movie primarily that's probably the big three for the 91 yeah yeah 91 through 2006 so 1200 of those sources 10,000 images that's a lot of images um 9,000 characters it's pretty much all of Wikipedia, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like in one database. Exactly, thirty five hundred planets, uh, eight or seven fifty aliens, thirteen hundred creatures. So who knows if there's some Venn diagram overlap between aliens and creatures? I feel like those are lit- literally the same thing. Uh, Twelve hundred weapons, seventeen hundred groups. Um, also, another just random factoid. Now, I totally forget the story that this specific little sentence comes from, but I, I think it's my favorite sentence that I've ever read on Wikipedia, and it is non consensual tracheotomy. <laughs> <laughs> non consensual tracheotomy. <laughs> so that comes up somewhere in. Um, Voran Naal's uh, <laughs> Wikipedia page. So read through that and look for the non-consensual tracheotomy and uh, tell us about it. What's our email address, Jordan? Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, just use the subject heading non-consensual <laughs> tracheotomy. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, make sure to uh, reach out on social media. Do we have anything else you want us to talk about? Any other important 
aesthetic uh, <laughs> things to note here, Christian? Uh, just kind of backing it up as the bigger picture of holographic technology and the importance of faster than light communication, like how necessary that would be to have galactic spanning civilizations. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's just it couldn't it couldn't work without instantaneous communication. Yeah, and I didn't get into the like the nuts and bolts of what what the technology is here, but obviously they do have faster than light communication capabilities, yeah. and that's for in some way facilitated by or maybe the hollow net the hollow net uses. Um, hyperspace in some capacity. Maybe to project information? Obviously to project information. Yeah, that, but like that's in, what it's in doing. what way though? But yeah. in some way I would imagine that like the hollow net uses hyperspace essentially. They they just use a technology that's similar to what you would find on your average Hyperdrive. starship yeah. to transmit their messages. Because yeah, like we can't as far as we know now we can't transmit messages faster than the speed of light right yeah. so it would take 60 years to get to alpha centauri or whatever yeah. right if just to say hello obviously they're communicating a lot faster than yeah that. you have the emperor on coruscant giving direct instructions to vader on a star destroyer on the other side of the galaxy you know like and you're never seeing spacers like running up to emperor palpatine with a letter in their <laughs> hand <laughs> so, sorry, sorry. so you assume that they do have communication that looks a lot like say the internet yeah just at faster than light because even if we had like um a really advanced city on mars or something say like there would be a delay if you were trying to text your friends on mars there yeah. would be a delay of i think maybe like several weeks or something or no not weeks I don't know. It would be a long time. Somebody who knows about light and Space. physics. <laughs> Somebody who knows about actual science. <laughs> Instead of not, Star Wars science. Not Star Wars science. Let us know <laughs> how long it would take to send a text message to Mars. Uh, with that, you guys got anything else? No. Uh, reach out on social media. Give us your ideas, corrections, thoughts. Uh, also, support the Patreon. Star Lores. Uh, patreon.com forward slash Star Wars and uh, yeah send us any holographic communication indeed may the force be with you